Turn with me, if you would, in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I didn't realize that you had been here not too long ago, but by God's grace, we get to go here again. And I think this is a, an amazing text that we'll be able to look at this evening. Well, in the first three verses of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, this is God's Word. Paul called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father in heaven, we thank and praise you that we can come this evening to your word. We thank you, Lord, that every time we come back to a text, you continue to use that in our hearts and lives. We thank you, Lord, that the richness of your word is beyond our comprehension. And so we pray that by the power of your Spirit, you would open the eyes of our hearts, that we might know and understand what you have for each one of us this evening. Work in our hearts and teach us by your Spirit, we ask in Jesus' holy name. Amen. It's a privilege to be back with you again. Uh, I always feel like this is a wonderful place to be able to come back. And the joyful thing is no one is to be sacrificed tonight. So that's a really good thing. You know, I don't know what your pastor was thinking, but I'm good. I'm glad we're good. So, but we want to think about this word sanctification in particular. Tonight, as we begin, I'm going to ask you a question. I want you to think of a time when you had to confront somebody for a sin, an area in their lives that you noticed and recognized, but maybe they didn't see. A spouse, that can be really hard. A roommate, maybe harder in some ways. Maybe just a really good friend. And there are all kinds of people in our lives that we can sort of look at the way that they live and we find things that we think, oh, they ought to do this a little differently. We can find issues. But what if you're going to confront somebody and you know you've got to talk to them because maybe nobody else will? Well, I'm not sure if you're familiar with this methodology but you come up with every possible thing that they have ever done wrong in their lives, and you just sort of pile them all on at once. Not a good method. I would really highly recommend not using that, because rather than them actually hearing you, they'll be overwhelmed. It's better to just go to somebody when you have one or two things, especially if you just go into somebody one-on-one. Imagine what it would have been like for the Apostle Paul. He is minding the work of the kingdom of God. He has continued to share the gospel. 
He's praying for people. He's ministering to people. He's doing the work of ministry. And some of Chloe's people come to him. And they give him this report. And you find it, verse 11, for it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. The Apostle Paul gets this message that the church in Corinth isn't doing well. Now, the Apostle Paul planted this church. He was the church planter. And we know that he tells us in his writings all throughout the scripture that when people suffer, he suffers with them. Imagine how hard it would be to hear that there are divisions. There is serious sin in this church. There are people that are at each other's necks. They're isolated in all kinds of ways. Imagine how hard that would be to get that message. And then the Apostle Paul writes to them. Now, now, if we were the Apostle Paul, how would you begin? Well, how do we confront people? Sometimes we just go after them. Shame is a wonderful power, not wonderful, but it's a powerful thing. Years ago, I told people I'd always kind of thought about maybe being a travel agent, and I would specialize in guilt trips. You, you know, there's no real overhead. It's really good. Not good. Guilt trips are bad. But notice how the Apostle Paul begins. Now, these issues that he's going to address are really hard things. And I want you to notice these words that the Lord is bringing us back to this evening. These words of love, compassion, beautiful words that even in the very introduction point these people back to Christ. Call them in the midst of whatever they've got going on, wherever they are in this battle. He calls them back to Christ. And he points them for their identity in Christ and this foundation of the Lord Jesus for how they deal with all these differences. This evening I was to consider that it's the Lord himself who makes those who trust in him holy. And so through the finished work of Christ, we're to live in our calling to be holy people. But you notice that the focus tonight, we're just going to look at verse 2. There's a lot in here. We could just look at verse 1, really. I'm not sure what you looked at before, but tonight I want us just to focus on verse 2. And this applies to the Christian life. This is to the church of God in Corinth. 
Now, the word church was actually a secular word, ecclesia. Um, you know the word ecclesiastical. That's what we get that word from. Listen to how Leon Morris puts it. Church, ecclesia, is a term which in ordinary Greek could apply to any secular assembly. It's used of the rioting Ephesians in Acts 19, 41 and verse 39. Like Christians bypassed the regular words for religious brotherhood and made this their usual self-designation. They were probably influenced by the fact that it's used in the Septuagint, which is the Greek version of the Hebrew Old Testament that was written about 200 B.C. The usage reflects their deep conviction that the church is not merely one religious group among many. It is unique. Ordinary religious words will not do. It is not any assembly. It is the ecclesia, or the church of God. It's unique. It's not just another group gathered together. And it's good for us to always remember that. We are the church of the living God, as God's people. That's a significant thing for us to remember. Again, verse 1, we could focus on Paul's call and all those issues, but tonight I want us to look just at verse 2. And notice he begins with this concept of what it means to be the church. And I want you to think in terms of God's gift to his church. Verse 2, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. To those sanctified in Christ Jesus. This word means to be made holy. First, the Apostle Paul, whenever he would go to a place, he's going to share the gospel with the people that he talks to, that they would understand the uniqueness of Christ Jesus, that he fulfills the law, that he is God's messenger who comes, the anointed one, the one who takes the sin of his people, upon himself and fulfills the law. The second Adam who fulfills the law. But notice here, the Lord, through Paul, focuses on this word sanctification, to be sanctified. In the Greek, it's a participle and it's a perfect passive. Now, most of you will not remember Victor Borga. You'll be too young. I really encourage you, go to YouTube and watch him. Watch his punctuation. I think I'm going to fail miserably, but... And often he would describe things and make punctuation vocal. For a perfect, it starts at a point in time 
and continues forever. And you were sanctified. Here the Lord, through the Apostle Paul, uses a perfect to give us a unique idea of the completed work of God in the heart and life of every believer. And often when we think of sanctification, we think of the process of God working in our lives and that we grow in grace. And rarely do we stop to think about the concept of sanctification. Now maybe you've thought about that more recently. But think about it tonight. Hear the words of John Murray. When we speak of sanctification, we generally think of it as that process by which the believer is gradually transformed in heart, mind, will, and conduct, and conformed more and more to the will of God and to the image of Christ, until at death the disembodied spirit is made perfect in holiness, and at the resurrection his body likewise will be conformed to the likeness of the body of Christ's glory. It is biblical to apply the term sanctification to this process of transformation and confirmation. But it is a fact too frequently overlooked that in the New Testament, the most characteristic terms that refer to sanctification are used, not of a process, but of a once-for-all definitive act. In other words, in the New Testament, you'll find that perfect concept more frequently than you will even the process. And that's a helpful thing for us to stop and think about. We look at Romans chapter 8, we have what's called the order of salvation or the ordo salutis. You find it in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, really 29 and 30. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Now, Robert Raymond, in his Systematic Theology, suggests that this is the skeletal framework of the Ordo Salutis, because there are certain things in these verses that we recognize God does in our hearts when he saves us from our sin that are not mentioned necessarily in this text. We have significant things that are mentioned here. When you think in terms of what God has done, think about foreknowledge. And really from a biblical standpoint, God foreknew us. He knew us. He set his love on us. And he predestined or ordained us to belong to him. In his good time, then after the death of Christ for us post the cross, he effectually called us. That is, by the power of his spirit, he took us from death to life. It was the work of God's spirit that saved us from our sin. And in that, he regenerated us. He made us alive. Then we, cooperating with the work of his Spirit, repented. We turned away from our sin. And God placed 
this idea of faith inside of us. He made us alive by faith. Now, a number of these things happen all at once by God's Spirit. A great word is concomitant. They all happen all at once. He justified us. He declared us righteous. And this is really where definitive sanctification comes into view, that he made us holy by the finished work of Christ on the cross. He adopted us into his family, and then that process for us in faith is we grow in grace, as we grow in Christ. So definitive sanctification is you've been made holy. That's God's gift to the church, one of many. It's what Christ does on the cross on our behalf. Now, I want you to stop and think about that message to this church of Corinth first. They have divisions. There are those who are trying to one-up each other. They're trying to demonstrate that their group is better than the other group and probably maligning people that are not a part of their group. Now, of course, we can rejoice that never happens today. Okay, maybe it does, a little bit, or a lot. There's also sin in the church that is being tolerated that not even pagans accept. And they're thinking how wonderful they are. So the church is really struggling, and God writes to them through the Apostle Paul to remind them of what they have received in Christ. I mean, this church is tied in knots, and God, through Paul, points them back to who Christ is and what they've received. Now, I want us to think about what a message this is for us, too we can fall into the same pattern of thinking of ourselves better than others. But we can also really feel like because I still struggle with sin, am I really saved? If you don't struggle with sin, would you please check your pulse just to make sure you're alive? And if you're blind to your sin, then talk to somebody really close to you. They'll be able to help you out, I think. We all struggle with sin in so many different ways. But God is the one who's made us holy. We take our eyes off of Christ and we start to look at ourselves. We can become easily discouraged. God's working in your heart. I talk to people who are close to death. And sometimes there are people that wonder, am I really saved? I mean, look at my life, look at my sin. I should be better than I am right now. Look to Jesus. It's Christ. He's the one who has made us holy. He's the one who has finished that work 
for each one of us who trust in Him. For people who struggle with assurance, am I really saved? I think often our focus is not on Christ, it's on ourselves. We have to look back to Christ. So the gift that God gives to the church is that he has made us holy. Now, there, again, there are lots of gifts. I just want to focus on this one tonight. But I want you to notice in these verses, we also see not only God's gift to his church, but also God's call to his church. So he says, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints. Now, there are a lot of commentators that get really bent out of shape about Paul's grammar. They get bent out of shape about kind of the redundancy, they think, of what's going on in these verses. They, there are those who think this is a gloss. There are those who think, oh, the Apostle Paul couldn't have written this. Chrysostom, an early church father, fully convinced that the Apostle Paul wrote this. Lightfoot, Thistleton, many others, and myself and you as well, because this is the Word of God. We know the Lord wrote this through the Apostle Paul. Plus, I want you to notice there's some distinctions here. First off, notice how many times in the first nine verses, Christ Jesus is mentioned. You can add them up. It might seem to somebody that's really redundant not to a church that's forgotten Christ. They need to be reminded of the centrality of Christ. They need their eyes refocused to Christ. But I want you to notice, and I was really struck by the fact that of all the commentaries that I looked at, nobody really dealt with the distinction between sanctification as a completed act with sanctification as a continuing process. In other words, definitive sanctification and progressive sanctification, they're right here side by side next to each other, called to be saints. It's the same root, a verb, a noun, the same root. We are called to be saints. We are called to live holy lives. That's our calling, to grow in Christ. You know, and sometimes we can get kind of bent out of shape. Our focus is sometimes on other people, and we forget, I need to grow too. We can help other people grow but we need to grow. None of us, I'm pretty sure when we go out of here tonight, pretty sure Elijah's chariot will not be double parked, waiting for any one of us. I'm pretty sure we're going to be around for at least a little bit. Some of us may be longer than others, but we have 
the privilege to serve the living God, to continue to grow in our walk with the Lord. That's our calling. And so Paul to this church is pointing them back to Christ and calling them to grow. And we need to be in that same kind of position that we want to be growing. Now I want you to think of ways that the Holy Spirit is convicting you in your walk with him. What are some of the things that God is challenging you? And again, if, if you're not being challenged, then something's wrong spiritually. We ought to all know areas where we need to grow and to be kind of aware, okay, this is an area that God is really encouraging me to grow in my walk with him. We never get really beyond that. We are called to be different than the world. You know, when we get breaks in school, when we're done with school, you know, we're never done growing as believers. We want to grow for the rest of our lives. And sometimes I think we see people that as they get older, and this is something we always have to be really careful of, we can become stagnant in our Christian walk. And we can become complacent. And we want to make sure we don't do that. Let's start with ourselves and make sure that we really take this great salvation God has given to us, seriously. God has saved us by the power of his Spirit. And so we have been made holy. If you die tonight, the finished work of Christ on the cross, you have been sanctified. But if you don't die tonight, Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it's the Lord who is at work in you to will and to work his good pleasure. Philippians 2, 12 and 13. We keep growing. And I want you to notice as well, just in this one verse, God's blessing to his church. to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, together, together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. That might just sound like a, a passing comment, but I think it's really significant for this church. I think it's the church of Corinth. I think it's significant for us too. Think of the church of Corinth first. Here they are, they're vying for power. Remember, too, they took communion wrongly, and people had died because they took communion lightly. That's a big deal. We don't ever want to forget that. The Christian life is really significant, and so we want to make sure that we seek Christ but that calling together. The blessing of the church is that we are a connectional church together with other believers. The church of Corinth had been kind of caught up in themselves, in these little isolated groups. Now, I don't know what COVID was like for you. It, it was probably horrific for all of us on some level. 
And one of the things that was so hard about it was isolation. We isolated ourselves from other people. And we won't go into why all of that, right? The Church of Corinth, they were isolating themselves into these little groups. And we are God's people together. Even though we're different from other people. God has called us to be his church. And there's always that temptation to move away from other believers. Now, one of the beauties for us, we are Presbyterians. Do I have an amen? I should, yeah. Because God has called us to be in fellowship with each other and with other believers. We are, you and me, we are members of NAPARC, the National uh, Association of Presbyterian and Reformed Churches. That's a blessing. Even though we have distinctives in the different things that we might do, we share a common Reformed faith. That's a wonderful blessing. We also want to remember that with anybody who confesses Christ as Lord and Savior, there are brothers and sisters. And we can rejoice in, in the joy of belonging to the living God. Tonight, as you look at, at this verse, I you just remember the Lord brought the Apostle Paul to Corinth. He brought this pagan town the gospel. There were Jews there. There were pagans there. He shared the gospel with them. He told them about the Lord Jesus. He told them about all the promises that God had made in the Old Testament that ultimately pointed to Christ and our inability to live up to that standard. And that God in his perfect righteousness sent the Lord Jesus, perfect love, sent the Lord Jesus without sin into the world, took on a human nature, and he died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. That's our faith. We trust that that's what God has done. And so Paul was a church planter and a mentor to this church that stood in tremendous need I hope you have people in your life who encourage you, who challenge you, who will tell you something you don't want to hear because they love you. I had a mentor when I was in seminary. The Lord has taken him home. He would get in my face in Christian love. I learned more than I would ever be able to tell you from him. He was an amazing blessing to me, just as seminary training was. We need each other. We need to be the church. We need to have the courage to tell each other things that we don't want to hear, that we need to hear, because we've been sanctified. Your identity is no longer in you. 
Your identity is in Christ. And now we grow together. I don't know if... Some of you probably have and some of you haven't. You know, I used to run with a guy. And there'd be times when I just was not feeling it. And he would encourage me. And there'd be times he didn't feel it. And I'd encourage him. If we both didn't feel it, I guess we'd walk. But we need to encourage each other to grow in grace because we have been sanctified, but we are also called to be holy. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do praise and worship you for your word, your truth, and the gift of life that you've given to us in the Lord Jesus. Make us people after your own heart. Fill us with your spirit and continue to expose to each one of us areas that we need to grow in, that we might be faithful to you. We pray, Lord, that you will use us for your glory. And I pray your blessing upon this congregation for their faithfulness and their love for you, their desire to bring every thought captive in obedience to Christ. Bless them and lead them by the power of your Spirit. Work in our hearts as we grow together for your glory. And thank you that you have taken us from death to life and that you have made us holy by the finished work of Christ on the cross. We praise you in Jesus' holy name. Amen.